Divine Truth Documentary Jesus, Mary and Others provide information to people or organizations that produce documentaries. In this video, Jesus and Mary are interviewed by Thomas Lita while traveling from Brisbane Airport to their home with Thomas and his cameraman Simon. This is Session 2, Part 1, filmed on the 9th of August 2013 in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. Hi. Not bad. Not bad? Not bad, actually, yeah. How, how are you okay? doing? Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Very good. good. <laughs> yeah, nice to see you. Nice to see you. Yeah. <laughs> so how have you been? Good. How are you doing? So yeah, were you at the Shire? Yeah, good. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But, it, but now it's just something, and yeah, so we don't really give you that. It's certainly not for some. That we're not really. Yeah, just have a no. yeah. Um They're only usually in dark locations. Okay. So it's very so we have rare. to sleep with the lights on tonight, Simon. <laughs> you won't. Have you won't. <laughs> you might see an occasional huntsman, which uh, can get up to this large. Oh, they're massive, aren't they? But they're, but, they're not. Because uh, yeah. I thought that I've read, I mean, it could be wrong. Sometimes we've uh, managed to channel the person who's just died from an accident. Who's just, who, whose body, you know, has died and they now a spirit. Right. Yeah. So ex explain that to me. What do you mean by channel the person? Well, you're able Speaking. to talk with them still. If you're able to, you can talk with them still. And, um, so can you, can you, sort of uh, help can them you see? Them is that something you could see or just something that you hear? No, you, you can both see them generally and hear them, but generally we hear them rather than see them. But, um, but you can do both. We know, we've got friends who see them like they see normal people. And was there something there that you heard? Sorry, was, was, that, there, was, was there, there anything one there? Was there anything there that you heard? Yeah, the spirits who are with them trying to help them feel the person's going to die. Anyway, so no, but the person hasn't passed. They, they haven't passed. passed. They haven't passed yet. You know, we all have spirits with us all the time. Yeah. Um, lots of them are helpful. And some of them are not so helpful. So there could be... So in that situation, you could get spirits that um, wouldn't be helping in this situation. Um, no, it's rare. No, that's it's rare. It's rare because uh, most of the spirits who don't help situations are hooked into the addictions of people on Earth. So... They're only really engaging the person properly on earth when the person's engaging in an addiction that the spirit wants. So they can exacerbate a problem. Yeah, and this, you know how a lot of people drink to yeah. the point where they're still standing, but they're no longer conscious of themselves anymore. Sure. They're still standing up and they can't remember anything anymore. Yeah. And the next day when you ask them, do you remember what you did? They go, no, I've got no idea what I did. Yeah. But they were still standing. And driving. Yeah. and driving and talking to people and all sorts of things. Yeah. Well, that's a spirit who now has taken control of their body completely, who is now driving the whole process. Do you because they, because they no longer have control. They no longer so have control. So they're completely open to yeah. that. They're, they're completely, completely open. open. Yeah. And the, per the spirit wants the feeling of being drunk, because when you're a spirit, you can't get that feeling except when you're attached to somebody else. And so is that why you get a lot of sort of like... Drinking is the um, 
the liquid of the devil and things like that. Because yeah, well, this is where a lot of it's come That's from. Me. Right. In the, a lot of uh, people who are more conscious of what's happening in the terms of a spiritual perspective, they then go, okay, if a person drinks, then usually they have one of these spirits come to them and overcloak them at some point, particularly if they drink heavily. Um, and so then you get all of these rules that get established by religions in particular saying you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and it's the work of the devil and all this yeah. kind of stuff. Obviously there's no devil, but, you know. Yeah. And that's just also very unloving thing that religions do to people as well. Yeah, there's a lot of judgment. And it's also implying that the spirits with people when they drink are really devilish and often they're not. They're just people who've been on earth who... Sad. Who are sad, who'd like to get away from their sadness by drinking, and when they pass, they just still want to be attached to someone. So Because there's no way to drink anymore in the spirit world. So, okay. Yeah. So then also, so is that how, because people say, I don't, I don't know how I got home. I can't yeah. remember how I got home. So would you, you say that they're, 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 they're guiding them? <laughs> yeah. they're the, guiding the guy who's drunk with them, you know, he drives them home and Or gets sometimes, them to sometimes it's a... It's a Good spirit with them, too. I like sometimes. a spirit who's their guardian. But sometimes it's the guy who wants to get drunk by them. Yeah. So, can they feel that? So, can somebody who's, um, I don't know, locked into somebody else yeah. when they're drinking, yeah. can they actually feel that? Um, can they feel as if they're drunk as well? They or not? often can, yes. Uh, the spirit who will feel like he's drunk That's as what well. He That's what he wants to feel. And he can't feel like that if he stays in the spirit world. So he comes to Earth and overcloaks somebody on Earth and does it. But also there's this other thing that goes on where there's, a, there's usually a codependent relationship between the spirit and the person on Earth already established. So the codependency might be, for instance, the person on Earth might be really sad and the person who's a spirit might be really sad and they both feel that the best way to get over their sadness is to drink a lot. And so... You know, they both share the body, basically, of one person. The person on Earth is willing to do it. And often the person on Earth feels good when the spirit overcloaks them. Does that make sense? Like, so is that when people can have confidence so they gain more confidence exactly. when they're drunk? That's right. So you have people changing their personality when they're drunk as a result because they're now a large mixture of the other person who's with them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting, actually, if you speak to Peter, who's going to be staying with us. He's a farmer, a sheep farmer, but he's been a spirit medium since he was six. Oh, no, since he was born. Since he was born. He's seen spirits all of his life. Yeah, like, you know the movie The Sixth Sense? That's yeah. a little bit like Peter. Like, he's he had to shut down. He probably shut down his mediumship by the time he was by seven By the time he was eight, seven or eight, he shut it down. Because he couldn't cope with how much he was seeing and how many people were around. So how could he shut it down? Well, you just try to tune out of it. So. Right. And you use a lot of, you know, uh, you distract tools. yourself. Yeah. Uh, like Pete's watched a lot of telly in his life. Like anything <laughs> that keeps noise, yeah. that keeps him distracted kind of thing. Okay. And also, it is it is like a sense that you can dull down if, if you want. Yeah. You can say, I don't want to have that feeling anymore. Um, but he, he told me that when he was about 16, he's got two older brothers... And, you know, they're farm boys, go and have a few beers. He could never drink because he could just feel 
and see all the spirits with the people who were drinking. Yeah, it was just like, so he's never been a drinker, you know, because he, yeah. he just felt like that's... And he also felt, because he's so sensitive to spirits, that, well, ask him about the story, but that yeah. was my impression from what he said, that he felt that he would either be overcloaked by spirits and he didn't want that, yeah. and he could feel people around him getting, like, all spirit-influenced and it felt really creepy. Yeah, it's completely fascinating. It's a shame that we're, you're not actually mic'd up. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm should we when, talk about boring things? I think we should talk about really dull things. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is a fascinating discussion because a lot yeah. of people on Earth have no idea how much their entire lives are being, uh, if not manipulated, certainly interacted with by spirits like when you were around them. Yeah, and we, yeah. it was funny that I was actually talking to Simon uh, last night and we were talking about money and we were talking about um, also talking about when people get drunk that it, it seems to me like it's a magnification of their personality. So yes. if somebody gets if somebody gets drunk then and they have maybe violent tendencies or something then they, they really treat really environment maybe when they're drunk and I thought Although, the similar sometimes it's the opposite mm. like I, I had a uh, one of my grandfathers was really placid when he was sober but as soon as he got drunk he used to get very angry so do you think there was something inside of him that was um, well yeah all, all of it's something inside yeah. of him like the potential is there the potential is there yeah but yeah. there's often for people there's like a moral compass that prevents yeah. them acting on but when they get drunk, yes, it can be an amplification, but often it's like, oh, other spirits who have that tendency and don't have the moral compass join them, join them. and it gets like out of control. You know, like people who sometimes murder other people, yeah. like they would never have murdered someone, but they are sort of they have some anger that they're suppressing and it suddenly comes out and then a spirit joins them and they suddenly like stabbing someone and then afterwards they give testimony and they go I can't remember I've can't totally remember blanked the out the act I remember getting angry and then it was like it's blank and often that's because the spirit has stepped in at that point and yeah. done that so do you feel that this is quite interesting so almost you could have somebody is it possible to find out afterwards whether or not that... Uh, I'm thinking sort of like in a court of law perspective, whether or not you can have somebody that comes in as... Certainly a, it is, yeah. As a, as a key yes. witness. Yes, yep. certainly. doesn't really feel guilty, and we all agree on that, and it's because the spirit has influenced the act. And a lot of so-called... So you could have a medium come in. So-called yeah. uh, incompetent by reason of insanity. Or temporary insanity, so-called temporary insanity, which is a recognised psychological yeah. phenomenon. Most of it is actually spirit overcloaking in the moment of the so-called insanity. Because yeah. I, uh, I think, I guess it would be relevant here um, to talk about, see, this, this traffic on the other side of the road. Um, yeah, caused by that accident we saw earlier. And you were mentioning about, um, you felt... Well, you, you you had a feeling that that was potentially a fatal accident. Yeah, not at the time that we drove past, but the person had very serious injuries. So, and the spirits with the person feel that the person was going to die, but that doesn't mean they will. It's just an 
it's just a feeling that those spirits have and they, they obviously can see the physical body, they can see the spirit body, they see all the problems with the physical body a lot easier than a person can. And they're, so they're how did you know that though? How did you, how did you... Well you can communicate with the spirits who are there, who are looking at the situation. Does that make sense? So did you, did you just hear them or did you have a conversation with them as you were driving past? Or? Um, it's more uh, a feeling based conversation that you have with them. Okay. Um, yeah. But it's a conversation. What you It's the way we we are used to conversing from the spirit world. Right. Okay. If that makes sense. So, um, myself and Mary are used to talking to people using a different type of communication than people on Earth use, obviously. And so we can speak with any spirit or any person on Earth using that form of communication. It's whether they can hear it or not is really whether they're sensitive to that form of communication or not. So there was a spirit helping the person? Yeah, their, guard, their guardian, the person that's assigned to help them stay alive. Yeah. So the spirit of the person who was in a bad way, the is their spirit still inside them or is it sort of in a no, transient no, a, place? Or? Oh, you mean the spirit body of the person yes. themselves? Yes. No, they're still there, connected to their body, but usually after an accident what happens is a spirit who's usually a person that looks after what's going to happen in terms of when the person actually passes and welcomes them to the spirit world, usually look after the process. They try to deaden and numb, and numb out all of their senses so that they're not experiencing a lot of pain and suffering while they're in physical pain. And so, so is that they, when... OK, because... So that's when they say that your body's under so much stress that you can't actually feel what's happening. Exactly. So you're saying that there's a, a spirit is actually controlling that. A spirit is helping the person uh, detune from their physical body so that they don't experience the pain that their physical body is actually in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's a very loving process. Like, uh, so it's not as terrifying as we'd imagine death then? Death is not terrifying at all, actually. Yeah. Most people on Earth are more terrified than death while they're alive than during the process of death. <laughs> it's just the fear of death rather than... It's the fear of death that's terrifying, yeah. yeah. But I guess we're terrified because it seems so final. Well, that's the other problem, I suppose, is that our belief systems are, even though it's ironic in a way, because there are, there are like, if you look at all of the Christians on Earth, there's one and a half billion Christians or so on Earth, and then if you look at all the Muslims on Earth, there's about a billion or one and a quarter billion Muslims on Earth, if you, if you look at the general population on the earth, around 70% say they have a belief in an afterlife, and yet we're all scared of death, which is an indication that perhaps we don't have a strong belief in the afterlife as we believe, mm. if you think about it. But I think, we'd, I, th I, I think everybody would like to believe that, wouldn't they? But they don't know if it's right or not. That's the reality. Um, and, as a, as, and because they don't know if it's right or not, there's a huge amount of fear about loss of life. Whereas there's no such thing as the loss of life, actually. Um, there's a loss of your physical life, but there are still a lot of physical things in the spirit world that you enjoy. And in fact, if anything, you, once you arrive in the spirit world, you feel more connected with your life than you did while you are on Earth, generally. And there are physical things as well, like in different dimensional spaces, there are physical things like trees and plants and animals and birds. And, 
So animals have a spirit as well. Animals have a spirit body. Any, any organism with a central nervous system has a spirit body. So, so where, where, is, where is this spirit world? Um, well, mathematically, they've proven that we, there, there are 13 or so concurrent dimensional spaces in the universe. That's what they've proven concurrently. Mathema also, scientifically, they know that there's dark matter, which weighs, has a weight, and in fact, dark matter forms 90 to 95% of the known weight of the universe, but we can't see it. So there's all, these, there's all this matter that exists in another dimensional space that we that I'm referring to as a spirit world, but it's actually mathematically proven to be true. But people don't think of it that way. Does that make sense? So what people think of as heaven or hell or anything in between are, are actually the existence of multi-dimensional spaces in which our body, our spirit body, can exist and reside. And so... There's everything that you can imagine that's possible here. There's also possible there, with the exception of a few things. So can you die in the spirit world? No. No, you can't. Yeah. Your spirit uh, body, as far as it is known by at the moment, cannot die. So there is no such thing as, as death as we know it, really, then? Exactly. So the moment you pass from Earth to the spirit world so with the person who is the driver of that vehicle for example well if if she does pass right what will happen is that there will be uh, an instant severing of the connections between the physical body and the spirit body so you could think of you have you have a soul a spirit body and a physical body and the there is an a severing if you like of the connection which is like an energetic cord between the two bodies and so what happens is when you die the physical body severs the, the spirit body and the physical body the cord that joins the two is severed and as a result you can't receive any sensory input anymore from your physical body and instead all of your sensory input things like taste touch smell everything comes through your spirit body so from that moment you're a spirit and you can't ever return to being a physical again, um, unless you go through a very long process after that time. So before, so at that point in time, you're still the same person you were, with the same experiences, the same memories, the same goals, the same ideals, the same loves, the same hates. You know, the same emotions that you store, the same loves that you have. The only difference now is that you're not any longer able to experience those particular things in the physical. You, you can only experience them using your spirit body rather than your physical body. That's the only difference. Okay. So that's so basically you're identical, you're still the same person, the same memory, same everything. There's no change. And in fact that's what surprises many of the people who pass is they still feel the same as they were when they're alive and so many of them think are still alive on earth for a period of time because there's there's no difference and there's so much no difference that they believe they're still on earth so how do we know that this conversation isn't being isn't happening in the spirit world 
Well, the conversation is happening in the spirit world in the sense that I'm conversing with you, but at the moment there are many, many spirits who are also listening to the conversation. So they can also hear the conversation. So they can hear the a physical expression of a physical voice in the airwaves, and they can also hear my spirit body speaking, which is saying the same thing. Does that make sense? And so they can hear exactly what I'm saying. And anything you say as well. Anything that anybody says on earth is completely available to any spirit who is nearby, who wants to hear it. It's just whether they want to hear it or not, as to whether they'll be nearby and, and hearing it or not. Yeah. Because there's this, um, uh, there's this thing, obviously you've probably heard it, called the Ouija board. Yep. Where people communicate... Oh, sorry, sorry, you are right. Sorry, yeah, I'm just going to... Uh, readjust. Sorry, just give us a shout if you're... Uh, you, sure you don't look too that doesn't look too comfortable that position but <laughs> yeah. he's got his elbow jammed yeah. in his thigh yeah. so it's not yeah. yeah oh right okay um, so um, as children um, we were always told about this Ouija board this terrible thing that communicated with spirits yes and I remember that we um, we did it yep and um, and did your glass move glass moved yeah um, and Nobody said that they were pushing it. Yeah. And um, what happened is uh, my sister came through who died. Yeah. And um, she started to communicate. And obviously that had a very emotional, upsetting reaction on me. So I guess my question is... So why did it have an emotional, upsetting reaction? Um, I guess because at the... At the uh, why did it happen? Because I guess you would what you'd like to believe. I would. I think it's about that belief thing. I would. I would certainly like to believe that she was communicating with me, yep. and she was okay, and she was happy, and she yep. was in the best place. And um, but then part of you believes that that can't. That's not true. That can't be true. That can't be true. Yep. So you have those two conflicting emotions. So there's sort of so like it's the, the one cynic and skeptic in you. Yeah. Feels you can't believe it. Yeah. And then the person who hopes and and dreams in you. Yeah. Wants to believe it. Yeah. And and so now there's this uh, emotional conflict going on inside of yourself as to which way you go, isn't there? Yeah. And, and then there's that thing whether or not your friends are pushing the glass around and, and just playing are doing something you horrible and, to you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and but also, can you see how because of this? See, if you look at what's happening on the earth at the moment, there is a lot of cynicism and scepticism about everything. You know, like the, the average person, in fact, is cynical and sceptical almost about everything. Mm. Um, and, and yet inside of each of us, there is this pure place where we want to believe certain things, where we, you know, what you call the place of hope or the place of... Um, which, which is very much like what a child has. You know, when we're children, we have those feelings more than we do as adults. And this is the problem, I feel, one of the problems with the Earth is that we limit our scientific investigations to what we believe is possible rather than, to, rather than thinking that anything is possible and we might be able to scientifically prove that certain things are possible that we are currently trying to deny. And I, I feel this is what happens a lot with spirit communication. So on one hand, 
there is a strong desire for people to um, to believe in an afterlife for the sake of you know their hope, their feeling of hope, or you know they want to believe they haven't lost their loved ones and so forth. And then on the other hand, there's all this cynicism and 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 other emotions too of despair and other kinds of deep emotions of grief that we haven't allowed ourselves to experience when somebody dies. And when somebody begins to attempt to communicate from the spirit world to us here on earth, for the majority of people, we attempt to shut down the communication. And the reason why we attempt it is because we're already so emotionally distraught about the fact of past. And then on top of that, we have all this cynicism and despair that's around us on the earth and all of this scepticism that we feel we want to conform with the average person's belief systems. And, and so the little glimmer of hope or the glimmer of joy that we experience by recognising that the person might be still alive is squashed under these other very negative emotions. And that's the fact for most people, unfortunately. And is that why you feel it's very upsetting then for people, darling? Is that... Yeah, one of the reasons why it's very upsetting is because if they believe there is communication from the spirit world then they have to fly in the face of almost everybody else's beliefs on earth for a start so in other words you're going to receive the disapproval and oftentimes the the statement that you're insane for believing such things in addition um, any of the cynics and skeptics are going to say well you're just you know you're just hoping there is you know it's got nothing to do with reality and and as a result, you receive a lot of attack on, on one level, but on the other level, you've got a lot of hope. But on this third level, you've also got a lot of unresolved emotion, usually about the passing of the loved one. And so there's, there's two sets of negative emotions. There's the negative emotion associated with the unfelt grief of the passing of the loved one. And there's the negative emotions associated with cynicism and skepticism of the world itself. That, that tend to pull you into disbelief and then there's inside of you this feeling of hope and feeling of uh, wishful, wishfulness or you could say the dreaming type of feeling you know like it, you hope that it's right or hope that it's real and as a result of these hopes you've got all of these emotions pulling you in a positive direction and so you, you enter this place in that space of a lot of internal conflict and most people can't cope with internal conflict of beliefs very well. And so what they do is they step away from it. So they avoid situations that will cause the internal conflict. And that's why the majority of people, I feel, shut down any desire to communicate with the spirit world and also any desire to acknowledge that their loved ones are still alive. And unfortunately, as a result of that, when their loved ones do attempt to communicate with them, they shut that down as well. So it's unfortunate because what it does is it creates a barrier between what we would call heaven and, and earth. And unfortunately, that barrier doesn't need to exist, but it only exists because of our belief systems. So, so you know how the sceptic would say, oh, you only believe that and that's why it's real for you. 
or my statement in return is, well, what's the difference between doing that and believing that and knowing that it is real and having an experience that you know is real and you believing it's not real because you hope that it's not real. <laughs> There's no difference, you know. So in my opinion, the the skeptic doesn't have any more or less proof than the average person that communications with spirits is not real. And in fact, most of the time the skeptic has less proof because they deny the communication in the first place. And yet, and yet really they're just doing the same thing from a logical perspective, from a different perspective as what the person who's hoping that it is real. So the skeptic hopes it isn't real, while another person might hope that it's real. And what really matters is what is real, not what everybody hopes. <laughs> what is real? And I'm, what I'm saying is, what is real is there is a spirit world. When your loved ones die, they are not dead. They are still alive. They often come to you, they try to express their love for you, and you shut it down because you don't want to deal with your grief or you don't want to deal with your own scepticism. And that's the main reason why communication doesn't occur. Yeah. Um, do you want me to do any of this? I think it's just going to look weird. Yeah, it does look a bit weird. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> why is that? Because you've got the kiwi. <laughs> I think it's just a bit full on, isn't it? Ugly mug. Yeah, that's the problem. The poor man who have a complex after you. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I guess so. Okay, Tom. Yeah, already. When people communicate with spirits via a Ouija board. Mm-hmm. Um, what are they actually doing there? Well, they're giving the spirit a method of being able to move the cup or glass around to spell out things. And many spirits learn these rudimentary ways of uh, moving objects soon after they pass. And so they're able to move an object in order to spell something out to a person on Earth. And they're also able to influence people who, if, if people are holding the couple glass, they're able to influence the feelings of the people to move it in a certain direction. And when there's three or four people, because the spirit's able to, uh, to trigger those same movements in all four people, then it means that each person feels inclined to move it in a certain direction with the agreement of everyone else present. And so these are sort of rudimentary ways that a spirit can use to communicate with people on Earth, and there's quite a lot of those kind of rudimentary ways, um, because spirits learn shortly after. Uh, one of the, as you can imagine, if you passed into the spirit world today, you would still have the same loves that you currently have. So you'd still love your wife, you'd still love your child, and you'd want to let them know that you're still alive. That's one of the first things you'd probably want to do, right? And, and so most spirits within a very short period of time learn how to try to let their loved ones know that they're still alive and everything's all right and there's nothing wrong and, and all those kind of things. Now, of course, most of their loved ones are not in the space to hear that because they're grieving and they're upset and so forth. So they're not in the space to listen, but most people who pass go, well, you don't need to cry, I'm still alive, you know? Like, and so they learn how to move objects, for example, so forth in order to communicate something to their loved ones on earth to indicate to the loved ones on earth that they are still alive and everything's fine of course usually it's not very successful because the loved ones on earth are going through a lot of grief 
and a lot of pain and suffering generally because of their belief systems and as a result of that they're missing the person that's died and so because of these particular factors um, oftentimes they're not in a space where they can clearly hear somebody communicating to them telling them that they are alive and uh, but that's what your sister your sister had been in the spirit world for some time by this stage right and and so she'd learnt how to move matter to a degree and also learnt how to influence people's emotional feelings and so she took the opportunity to attempt to communicate with you to show you that she was still alive and there is life after death and a number of other reasons why she wanted to communicate with you. I remember I cried <laughs> yeah. and it was spelt out, don't cry, Tom. Yeah, so she was still feeling... Um, so this is an indication that she wasn't as developed a spirit yet as she could have been because she was still worried about upsetting you. Does that make sense? Whereas a spirit who's uh, worked their way through the grief of the loss of their life on Earth generally is okay with a person on Earth having a cry. In fact, a person on Earth having a cry about it often connects them more with the feeling of love between the two. And as a result, um, the person on Earth often feels more love when they allow themselves to feel the emotion as a result of the communication. So, but your sister wouldn't have been in that space yet, so she was saying, don't cry, don't cry, everything's all right. You know, you don't have to worry. Um, she's trying to reassure you that there's no need for sadness. But the sadness that you would have felt would have been the sadness of her loss and also more the sadness of your mother and father's loss of their daughter, you know, because, because she died at such a young age. So that sadness gets suppressed in the family and sometimes it's only when you speak to a spirit that the sadness starts coming out, you know. So that's pretty normal, actually. When communicating with a spirit, it's pretty normal for the person communicating with a spirit, particularly if there's someone they know, to have some strong emotional reactions. But, so this, but surely the, does the spirit not feel a sense of loss as well? Not so much, because they can spend time with you whenever they want. In fact, many spirits comment that they are able now to spend more time with you than they were before. And so they don't feel as much of the loss as the person on Earth does. I think they feel a loss when, say, for example, if you passed right now and your wife and your daughter felt, that's it, Thomas is gone. Um, then they feel a loss. Then, then you would feel a loss. Like, oh, guys, I'm here. I, I can still be... I'm still around you. I still love you. And I want you to know that. And if they don't feel that from you, if they don't even... You know, some families come to a piece where they go, oh, I feel he's still around, you know. And at least then that gives the spirit a, a sense that they're still able to have some kind of presence in the person's life. But a lot of people, as AJ was mentioning, are so hard and cynical and sceptical and afraid of being wrong or hoping for something that isn't true. Or they have religious fear. Yeah, that they shut out any kind of communication. And then very often, like say for yourself with a young family, you want to be involved in your wife and your daughter's life for years and years and years to come, you know. And if you were to pass suddenly, um, it wouldn't necessarily have to be such a separation if all three of you felt 
we can still communicate. We, you, Thomas is not dead and gone. Um, but if they felt that's it, he's gone forever, then you would feel a loss, definitely, just as they would. Because they would actually shut down any communication with you in that place. So they would choose to shut it down in order to shut down their grief or whatever other emotions they might feel. And, and also to shut down the feeling of scepticism and other emotions that would be projected at them from the people around them. And as a result, they shut everything down. And then you, as the person who's passed, feel like you've just been cut out of their life, right? From that one place, you know? Now, of course, most spirits eventually understand what's going on. They understand it's because of the belief systems on Earth that all of that happens, you know? So, so if people are open to this, then everybody can have this um, connection with people that they've lost. Exactly. And they can communicate them. So everybody... Yeah. God's made it so that any single person who's ever died can communicate with any single person who's ever living, who's still living, and any single person who's still living can communicate with any single person who, who we view as dead. And God's opened the communication to any person, but the communication depends on some laws. So you know how we have like physical laws that govern like electronic communication here, like particularly like things like Wi-Fi communication and all those kind of forms of communication are all governed by laws, right? They're governed by elect, uh, like scientific laws. Well, so too are the communications with spirits. They're all governed by laws. So if you're trying to close down the, the law you know, or you're trying to, or you're not understanding the law, then of course you're not, you can't communicate. You have to understand the law and understand how it works before you can communicate it's quite simple but the reality is that everybody could be educated about how to understand the law and how to communicate on earth and eventually we could have a society where we don't even see death as a as a stop to our life we don't it doesn't hardly even impact upon our life at all or our relationships or our relationships mm. okay because so. I'm saying I'm Jesus mm. but that's also the main reason why nobody listens to me <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, the main reason why that's the irony of it. I find that quite funny. Really. It's funny. Like that's what the New Zealand crew said to us. Oh, we wouldn't be here Good. interviewing you if you weren't saying you're Jesus. Like, yeah, I find that it's quite amusing. That's funny because because the main reason why people don't listen to us on YouTube is because I'm saying I'm Jesus. <laughs> It's like the, Do you think the people don't sw switch on because they're sort of fascinated to the fact you're saying that? No, not at all. Most people, we, the, the, the high, the, by far the majority of people comment that, um, that if I was not saying that I was Jesus, they'd listen to me. And in fact, I've had, at, at the start of when I was doing these talks with people, which was like... I started doing this sort of 10 years ago, but five years ago, probably a bit more than five years ago, I started doing it with larger groups. And the majority of the group would walk out on me when I said I was Jesus. <laughs> Not before then. They'd listen fascinated until then. <laughs> that was the irony. And I find it quite ironic. Most people have a lot of questions about what happens when you die, what's the meaning of life, mm. is God real, what, does love, what is love really about, how important is truth, what's it, all, you know, what's it all mean? And we talk about all of those things at length. And so most people are fascinated 
but they're terrified that because AJ's saying that he's Jesus, that somehow there's something that he wants out of this, that yeah. they're going to be manipulated or hurt in some way. And because of that, they have a lot of fear. About and they have a lot of fear of public opinion. Yeah, like their A lot of fear about every, what everybody else thinks. Crazy. So a lot of people like talking to me. I've had a lot of people, this is first century and now, had a lot of people talking to me in private. They come to talk to me in private because they don't want anybody else to know that they're talking to me. <laughs> but they talk to me in private because they're interested in the topics um, that, we, that I speak about. But they don't want to talk to me in public because then, then they might be ostracised or criticised by their family, friends or others. So, and I've, I've often had people say to me, including Mary, hey, when we met, you, was, you said, why do you have to say you're Jesus? Why can't you just leave that alone? Everyone will listen to you then. <laughs> and the only reason I'm saying I'm Jesus is because it is true. <laughs> no other reason. So, I find it amusing, though, that the media frequently claims that I'm only saying I'm Jesus to have people listen to me. The reality is... The only people who have listened to me from saying that I'm Jesus are the media, because the majority of people who um, have listened to me, as soon as they hear me saying that I'm Jesus, they stop listening. So. Or they become more reticent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And more judgmental, and like they're constantly looking for me to be God, really, as well. So, so. Because. <clears throat> Sorry, I, I start every question with a cough or a splatter. <laughs> not very good for your camera, though. <laughs> Sorry, Simon. Um, because if I was to believe everything that I read and I think your online presence, it's, I would say, 90% negative. Yeah. So I'd say 99% negative. <laughs> it, it, if, yeah. if we look at just your, your website, I think pretty much everything else is with some few exceptions yeah. is completely negative of course um, so a lot of people would think that I am I mad to actually come out and see this um, this cult leader and talk to him <laughs> and um, visit his compound and be frightened whether or not I'm going to come back or be converted <laughs> yeah so what would you say to that yeah I think it's very funny um, as you will soon learn there's no compound and I certainly wouldn't chain you to it if there was anyway. <laughs> no, and and there is no cult. There is no, you know, my, there's myself and Mary living in a normal Australian home in the bush. Um, yeah, I think it's very, it's very much what people want to hear, I feel. Um, that's why the media lies about it, because people want to hear that anybody who's saying he's Jesus has to be a cult leader who has a compound and has 50 women on his side and, and everything else, you know, that goes along with that. And uh, and I think a lot of people in the past have been like that, so of course they think that any person who says he's Jesus must be the same. But the person who's actually Jesus is going to be quite different, actually, than the average person claiming that they're Jesus. And uh, But I, I don't feel that there's any like everybody who knows us knows there's no danger in knowing us there's only and if there's any danger it's only if you want to you know stay away from truth you're going to find it hard when you're in our company that's all um, 
So if, if you want to live a life that's a lie, you're going to find it very difficult to live a life that's a lie when you're in our company. That's the only difficulty with spending time with us generally. What do you think, darling? I, I don't know how I feel. In terms of difficulties being around us? Yeah. Yeah, right. I think most people find it easy, except when they, they've asked us for feedback. For truth. About themselves, and yeah. we provide it. And often that's challenging. So I should yeah. avoid that question. <laughs> yeah, don't ask, don't ask any personal questions unless you want to really desperately know the answer. <laughs> that's the general rule. Yeah, um, and that's a lot of people... Well, we know people who welcome that, obviously, because yeah. they want to grow and be better people. Uh, and not everything that we say to people is negative. It's just often challenging because a lot of us live in a facade. We live in a... We want to present a certain version of ourselves to the world, which is not always true. And really, if you're going to grow in love as a person, if you want to know... If you want to have intimacy, emotional intimacy in your relationship with other people or with God, then you have to drop your facade and be the real you. And yeah. so a lot of people, because they're afraid of what will happen when they drop their facade, get challenged. Well, what happened if the facade is actually... So in Brisbane, there is, uh, this weekend, there's a big Jehovah's Witness conference. Is it? Yeah. Right. There's a... Um, I think it's an annual conference. Yeah, they normally have one what they call district convention per annum. So, is it something that you would have been you would have been involved with? Yeah, twenty years ago, probably. Yeah, normally I would have been a speaker in one of them. Because I read that you uh, you got kicked out, or you. Uh... Yeah, that's not strictly true. I, I left. I I I disassociated myself. So there's two forms of leaving the Jehovah's Witness Church. One is where you get kicked out, which is called a disfellowshipping, and the other is where you leave of your own violation, and that's called disassociation. And I disassociated myself from the witnesses. And why did you choose to do that? Um, there were quite a number of reasons at the time that I did it. First, the first and primary reason was that uh, I felt that I could no longer live with my wife at the time and and I knew that if I left her that I would uh, under the Jehovah's Witnesses faith if if you leave somebody they're not allowed to remarry until such a time as the person who left remarries and uh, and that's I don't feel very kind of course but um, so that was one reason why I left. Another was that I felt that there wasn't any love present. And I certainly lived in a town at the time where there was very little love present. In fact, I quite often gave talks to the congregation that I was looking after of about 100 people about the fact that there wasn't very much love present. And the third primary reason was that uh, I could no longer um, really agree with a lot of the biblical statements that Jehovah's Witnesses believe or interpret the way they interpret. And, and so there was quite a number of reasons. 
uh, that I left at the time. But the primary one was because I, don't, I didn't feel that I could love my wife anymore and I felt that that was wrong at the time, that I couldn't, and so I disassociated myself from being a witness because of that. So was it to, are you saying that you did it so that she could move on with her life? Yeah, the way in which I did it at the time, I wouldn't have done, no, I wouldn't do it now, but the way I did it at the time was so that she could move on with her life rather than being reliant on me moving on with mine. Um, so, yeah. So she would have had to have, you would have had to have remarried before she could have... Before she could have remarried. But as it turned out, after I left, she remarried, I think, around four years later. Um, and uh, I haven't remarried since, obviously. Now I'm in a relationship with Mary and have been for the last five years. But, um, but you know, I, I had one... I had two relationships over the prior ten years but I didn't marry any of them. So did you confide in your ex-wife that you were Jesus? Or did you not know at that stage? No, I didn't know at that stage. And, you know, I had a lot of memories since the time I was little. And... Sorry, there's a bit of road noise here, isn't there? Sorry, do you mind if I ask that question again? Oh, no. Do you need me the question again, sir, or just the answers? Um, I, I, I just the answers. Okay. Fine, I think. I'm just, uh, it's pretty noisy. Yeah, because it was, it, it's reported, and obviously I, I know that's not necessarily true, that um, you got kicked out of being a Jehovah's, Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witness because of a prostitute. <laughs> No, I left, I disassociated myself, but the reason why I told them, and, and I did see a prostitute, what I did was I, was I, I asked a prostitute to come around and I talked with her and then she left and then I went back to the people involved and I said, I saw a prostitute, <laughs> which I did do. I saw so so what, is, what, is, what is wrong with that? Well, they interpreted that to mean that I had had sex with the prostitute. Does that make oh, sense? Oh, right. And explain what that means in terms of... And what that means from my ex-wife's perspective is that I had already been with another woman and therefore that gave her grounds to be able to d- divorce me and be with somebody else. Does that make sense? That's the way they see it anyway. Right. So I knew that, you know, when I said I saw a prostitute, they would interpret that as I had been with a prostitute sexually, which I have not, but I knew they would interpret it that way. So did they allow you uh, a chance to actually defend yourself, or, or did you feel like, yeah, about, you know, I don't, I, didn't, I don't need to? No, they tried to force me into a meeting with them, um, but I said, look, I'm disassociating myself. You don't need to meet with me. You don't need, you know, to find out even why. And and I said, and, and I've seen a prostitute, so that should leave Mary... Uh, sorry, sorry, Sheree, my ex-wife, whose name is Sheree. Um, it should leave her a chance to remarry. Does that make sense? At the time, you were... Much like you wanted to Cherie to be free. I wanted her and to be free. You wanted to leave, and you couldn't. Oh, I couldn't be with her anymore. 
but I, wa- I didn't want to her to feel like she had tied up the rest of her life and that she couldn't be with anybody else as a result of my choice. Does that make sense? So you didn't believe that she was Mary? No, no. No, not at all. I knew she wasn't. But at that time, I didn't even know that I was Jesus either. I didn't... And when I say know that I was Jesus, what I mean is I've had all these memories all of my life, but I never put any psychological uh, weight on them. I never... I just thought, oh, there's a whole heap of unexplained memories that I had, um, which I compartmentalised and tried to convince myself that they were probably just imaginings and whatever else, you know. And so I tried to live a normal life all of that time. And I never, during that period of time, would contemplate that these memories meant that that I'd lived before, because I never believed in living prior to the life you have now. So I never believed in a, you know, what people call reincarnation nowadays. I don't believe in it. still don't believe in it, in fact. Um, so I never believed in those kind of things. So, so I had all these memories which were unexplained and I didn't have any desire to try to explain them, if that makes sense. So what did you want to speak with the prostitute for or about, or was it just a... a... It, was, it was just about... It was just so that I could say that I saw one, like, and not lie, basically. Um, however, in the way I feel about it now, that I, I, by doing that, I allowed them to believe the lie, and nowadays I wouldn't even allow myself to do that. Does that make sense? But back then, I wasn't in the same development as I am now, so I just thought, well, they'd believe the lie. And as it turned out, I talked with the prostitute about why she was a prostitute. We discussed um, her her partner at the time was pimping her, and uh, and she had a little child. And I was talking to her about how she felt about doing it, and and in fact, she got teary on a number of occasions and had a bit of a cry and. And I said, look, I'm not attacking you, I'm just asking you, like, I wanted to understand the emotional reasons why, because I'd never spoken to a prostate before. Um, it's not the kind of thing that a normal Jehovah's Witness would probably get to do, aside from knocking on the door, right? And so it gave, it gave me an opportunity to speak with her as well and find out, you know, what what drove her, you know, what, what was the reasons why she was doing what she was doing. And so that's the conversation I had with her. Do you think that's got anything to do with... Uh... Sorry, sorry, how are you doing? Yeah.